0: Welcome to the Grow Your Practice Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Welcome to the Grow Your Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Madden. This week, I wanted to share with you a recording from a recent webinar that I hosted. To get access to the slides and videos of this recording, you can visit getbreakthrough.com forward slash resources. Remember, this was a training hosted with a live audience, so there are real-time questions and answers that I think you will find valuable. Without further ado, let's get started. I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, everybody. Good afternoon, at least for those of us on the East Coast. Good afternoon. Uh, And today, in our time together here today, we're going to be talking about um, how to plan an, an eventual exit. And Whether you're planning on doing this uh, within the next year or two, or 10 years down the road, um, the best time to start planning is right now. So I'll walk you through. Um, A lot of this is my own personal experience. Everything that I've done um, internally, I can share uh, a good portion of that. So I've been selling internally. Um, I have seven internal partners here um, over the last 10 years. Um, And then Last April, I went through. Um, uh, we brought on an external partner. Uh, that's it's public knowledge. It's out there. You can Google it and understand as much um, as you need to about the deal. But the main thing that I want to focus on here isn't the, the, the actual numbers or deal structure. I m- more want to share with you the the thought process of how we went through what we went through, and um, and. I I think that's probably the best use of our time. We have a lot of experience on here. Uh, Really quick math is we have a couple, at least a couple hundred years of practice experience um, as owners from those of you I'm seeing, you know, Sandy, John, Jeff, Anna, um, you're sharing your years of experience, how long you've been in practice here. And again, I think that will be the best use of our time because we also um, have some diverse uh, practices and clinics here. So we're gonna. the first thing we're going to do is touch base with, if you've never looked at this before, uh, the fundamentals of what determines your practice's value. Uh, the second thing that we'll do is I'll share an interesting story, the story of how I went through preparing to, um, to bring on that external partner and, and sell a good portion of the practice. Um, and I'll share with you the exact planning tool that I used. Again, I think you're going to enjoy the backstory behind that and then the other one is what made our practice valuable to the um potential external partners the acquirers that we talked with so often at least what i went through um early on if i go back to you know 2012 and bringing on an internal partner everything that i saw in our industry and in our marketplace was focused on what's in it for me so what's in it for me as the practice owner there's a nice transformation And if anything happens, a key takeaway from this that I'd love for you to uh, walk away with is that if you can go over to the other side of the table and understand the perspective of an acquirer, that helps you um, position your practice significantly better than the practice that does not do that, right? So most of us, 100% of us understand the perspective of I'm an owner and I'm selling, very few of us are gonna take the time to understand what an acquirer is looking for. And uh, we'll talk about that as as well, and then we'll have some time for Q&A. John, I know you already submitted something. Um, Andrea has that queued up already. But if you have a question as we're going through, looks like somebody just popped a question in the Q&A tab, find that Q&A tab on your Zoom control panel. And um, when you ask that, when we have that Q&A session here, uh, in 30, 40 minutes or so, um, Andrea will uh, moderate and walk us through. So, three things that commonly get in the way when we're talking about growing practice value and ultimately, um, yeah, g- going through uh, this type of process. Uh, number one is unrealistic owner expectations. I've had a lot of conversations on both sides of the table. The uh, and I've talked with way too many practices that are um, that you know they they see a deal get done, let's call it you know at at of uh, fifteen multiple or something like that from uh, the last year or two, and they say okay, and that you know that is a practice that has two hundred locations, et cetera, and then they they believe that the owner with a single site practice that is seeing you know one hundred and twenty visits a week that is doing. Roughly six hundred thousand dollars a year in gross revenue that they can go into the marketplace and they can just you know pull off that deal at a fifteen multiple. That is not realistic. Um, the other one that I see a lot um, and I've only ever heard it executed once well is um, you know five. We have five practice owners in this area. We're going to join together and we're going to go out at a higher higher multiple. Um, that's been talked about. That is not new. That's been talked about for 30 plus years um, in our industry. And again, out of all of the times that I've seen that attempted, I've seen it done once well. Most acquirers just aren't looking to, you know, uh, purchase a smorgasbord of, of practices that have diverse EMR systems and different personnel and HR and marketing and you know, all, all of those other things um that that's just not realistic and we'll talk more about that later. The second big th- barrier is uh, ignoring the buyer and the market's perspective. Very easy to do. Um the, you know, for example, if we're having this conversation a year ago, um interest rates were very low. You know, the I think I bought a Sally Mae CD which was the highest rate in the country um 9 months ago and it was like 1.8% well, now you can go by, you know, US Treasuries, which I've done in the last week and I actually did it this morning, and I got more than 5%, right? The market is different. And in general, as interest rates rise um, and the cost of borrowing is more expensive, practice valuations go down. That's a gross generalization, but historically, that is generally what happens, right? So as the the price of money increases. As interest rates go up, the, the valuations go down. That's you know just one way that I've heard owners uh, misfiring here in the last three to six months. Um, you have to understand the market perspective. And like I talked about before, very important to understand what that acquirer is looking for, how they're thinking about um, your your business, your practice as well, especially when we're talking about going external. If we're going internal, also important to understand the buyer's perspective um and then the third one is underestimating the value of of systems if everything is in your head the practice owner's head if you don't have systems in place if you don't have a team in place chances are the valuation of your practice is going to be significantly more disappointing than it is surprising and rewarding right so we'll talk about that a little bit um but in general i think we can assume that most of us have you know a Physical therapy degree. We have a PT license. We have a private practice, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we understand how to operate uh, systems, how to build systems, and also it doesn't necessarily assume that we know how to um, and build and, and grow teams as well. So th- that though that skill set is extremely valuable in the marketplace. And again, what you can see is you can see somebody get a deal done at a ten or a fifteen. In terms of a multiple and then think, well, that that they're in PT, I'm in PT, my practice should be also a 10 or 15 multiple, right? Um, So there are three determinants of practice value that really drive practice value. Number one is the size of the practice. So simply put, you can look at gross revenue. Um, It is the easiest way to think about that. Not necessarily number of locations or square footage or anything, but gross revenue is a quick and easy determinant uh you know if somebody's doing 100 million in revenue um or if they're doing what did we do last year 8.7 million in revenue um and that that's gross revenue or you know if somebody's doing 600,000 in revenue there are three very different type of practices that are going to be valued by the market place differently um the second one is you know consistent visits there's a huge leak that most of us have in private practice and it took me too many years to figure this out. And just as an aside, you know, I've, I've been in practice. This is my 20th year. So September 2nd this year, I'll be in practice for 20 years. Um, but consistency is a is a killer. Well, inconsistency is a killer. So slow seasons, which I've talked about, uh, been talking about it for 10 years here at Breakthrough. Um, but the, any sort of season or slow period where we're losing money, underutilized space meaning physical space or underutilized schedules are are brutal for practice value. And um here's just a quick example. In 2009 in the fourth quarter, our practice, the one that I'm standing in right now in the same building, fourth quarter 2004 we lost $98,000. It's basically a a backward step of $100,000 in in earnings, right? The um it, it, if we would just compare that to breaking even, and let's say that year we did um, four hundred thousand after that loss in in earnings that year. and I'm just ballparking here for quick, easy math. So our earnings could be four hundred thousand or if we just broke even, it would have been five hundred that. You know, if we wouldn't have had the hundred thousand dollar loss because of the anemic um, fourth quarter, then we would have an extra hundred thousand dollars in earnings. Well, if we're doing, you know, at the time it was a multiple of five, right, that is a difference in practice valuation of $500,000. That's pretty significant. So we're talking about a practice because of that slow season worth $2 million instead of $2.5 million. Very big difference. So small hinges swing big doors is the common cliche in saying, but yeah, that is is key. So you want to look at your consistency as well. It's also key for a buyer. Your buyer, you know, isn't going to want to have to subsidize your practice um, portions of the year uh, just to make ends meet. And three, opportunities to expand. This is also really key, um, and we'll get more into this as we go through the, the deck. This training is brought to you by breakthrough. Our purpose is ultimately to flip the, the pyramid, build a healthier. Uh, and more sustainable healthcare system. Uh, We've been doing this for a while, founded in 2015, first met Carl in 2012, uh, when he was the head of online sales for Tesla Motors. Uh, We're doing a lot in the marketplace in terms of helping private practice owners grow their practice, specifically with direct-to-consumer marketing. You can see some of the statistics up here. One of the ones that we're most proud of is over 8 million emails sent last year on behalf of the practices that we work with. The big thing to take away from this is we have a lot of data on, on marketing and and growing practices. Here's a quick timeline. As I said, we opened up September 2nd, 2003. Original business plan was uh, five new patients a week and ultimately 48 visits a week. Uh, The, and it was fun. So September 2nd, we opened, that was on a Tuesday. Monday was Labor Day, September 1st. I opened on Tuesday, Friday. Of that same week uh stephanie delivered our oldest son so my oldest son was born jackson uh september fifth, two 2003 obviously we closed that friday and uh we ended you know went on to have five more children Um, and my oldest is now in the navy actually coming home this friday as well but we survived that not the best timing on my part and within six months, um, the, that original goal of 48, we were up over 100 visits a week. And the reason that the goal was 48 visits is because in the pro forma, the financial projection for the business that I had built um, and the the business plan that I had put together, that wasn't I would earn enough money from 48 visits a week in the 2,000 square feet that we we had um, that Steph didn't have to return to work. We had agreed early on that we wanted her to be in a position. She was a school teacher, but that she didn't have to return to work unless um, it, it was the right opportunity. So that was the whole goal. And I remember coming home uh, just about every night there in the first few months. And she would say, you know, did you get your five new patients this week? And this was at a time before direct access, before I understood how to market. And it was all physician referrals. And it was brutal, uh brutal game to play. Anyhow, we, um, yeah, by, Six months later, we had doubled our growth. And yeah, I think 108 was what we hit in March 2004. Um, then we kind of plateaued. I had hired a PTA, uh, had, did not have another uh, higher employee hire um, until 2006. So early years marked by a lot of wasted space. We had 2,000 square feet with two clinicians, right? Uh, not the best use there, leaking a lot of money financially, but we were making enough and I was happy. Um, doing what I was doing there. But I was the business, not very valuable in the marketplace. November of 2008, we had an all-time high of 154 physician referrals in a single month. And then what happened from there is the three hospital systems in our area started buying up all the physicians. And very quickly, um, within a few years, I would say three or four years, 90% of the physicians in our area, the referral sources, we're now working for the hospital system, and they were no longer allowed, permitted, whatever you want to call it, whatever gross Stark violation <laughs> there there was. That they were, you know, that was definitely happening, and they could no longer refer to us. So we had to transition to marketing direct to the consumer um, in about 2011, and I just dove headfirst uh, after a lot of resentment and a couple years of playing victim. There really well, I prided myself on how dramatic I of a victim that I was. Uh, we just embraced marketing and figured out how to go direct to the consumer. In 2016, received an ind- independent valuation of uh, 4 million. Again, in 2012, I started bringing on um, internal partners. And then, yeah, we'll go through some growth numbers here. In July of 2021, had an independent valuation of, I think it was 11.7 million. And then uh, in 2022, last year, April 1st of 2022, um, our practice value was $16.5 million, and we sold 70% of the practice for $11.5 million. All right, so I want to give a little bit of the backstory. Uh, during the pandemic, I believe it was in uh, late 2020, Carl introduced me to uh, a friend, now a mutual friend, and his name is Jason Ye. Jason has a podcast called Funded. Um, he's a, I believe, an MBA from Harvard. Extremely intelligent guy. Um, he, and on the first call, what the, the reason that we were connected is because Jason um, was hired by Silicon Valley Bank. Yes, that Silicon Valley Bank (SVB) to go in as a former founder and help investment bankers. Um, Th- through this course, in terms of evaluating private equity and VC deals. and uh, yeah, so Jason got a deal to teach the course. He wanted to know how to put the course together. I've been doing this for a while. Uh, you know, I've had the great opportunity to you know study with some of the best minds in terms of uh, education and putting uh, valuable business information together. So help Jason build the course. It was six weeks long. Uh, the course went really well and he ended up starting a business off of delivering this course. And in that process, he, um, we got to the end and he said, listen, man, like, you know, I'm forever indebted and all the niceties that come with that. And he said, what, do I owe you? And I said, nothing like this was, you know, you're a friend of Carl's. Um, I love doing this and, you know, I learned a lot through the process and, um, Yeah, I said, we're good. And he said, now, man, I need to give you something. I I was like, well, listen, how many deals do you think you've seen in the last five years? And he was like, over a thousand. And he showed me this huge spreadsheet of all these different uh, business pitches that he listened to. And I said, "Uh, so do you have access to the decks of any of these deals that you've looked at before as an investor, as a potential investor? And he said, yeah. And I said, what's the best one that you ever remember? And he he told me, and um, I said, I don't need the the detail of the deck i just need the outline and i said can you do that and he he delivered and it was immediate and he gave me the de- the um outline deck what we did then was so i took jason's um the, essentially the best pitch deck that he had ever seen and i th- i took our Madden and gilbert physical therapy business and put the inputs that's a that's what you're about to see here so what it did for me it's it, it's not this isn't something where you know the the end the end goal is having this pitch deck together full transparency i've never showed this to a single acquirer but what it did for us and this is what i want you to have the benefit the transformation to go through is it organized so mike and i and our other business partners it organized our thought around what we were really doing and how it was really valuable in the marketplace That is the most important part out of this. So I'll walk you through this Um, growing six location. We just opened up our seventh in uh, Lancaster, but this was um, at the time. And this is probably 18 months old, maybe two years old. Uh, So we go through the beginning. This is pretty. You have a beginning story an origin story, what you were looking for. Um, Yeah, this is pretty straightforward. Um, many, much of this, you know, the story already, we talked about the market evolution, you know, in the beginning we were physician referral and now we're primarily direct to consumer. So in the last full year study, we did 2019, uh, 92% of the new patient, new cases that we saw in that year, um, were from uh, direct to consumer. So past patients being reactivated, word of mouth referral from patients, um, and then cold traffic marketing. Only 8% was phys- physician referral. So you can put uh, put this in the chat and uh, yeah, put your answer in the chat. But if you were an acquirer, if you were buying a practice, why would you want to buy a practice that has 92% of the new patients coming through are not physician referrals? They're from direct to consumer. Why would you, why would that be valuable to you? Again, you can put your answer in the chat. Maybe I'll have a prize for the the first and and right answer. um yeah, so I went through that we We talked about the market evolution here. Jeff Thomas says it's more controllable going forward, less dependent awesome Jeff. um by the way, I have a big box of alpaca socks here. um we have alpacas on our farm, and we turn it into socks so if you if you want um I'll reach out to you, Jeff, and we'll get you a pair of alpaca socks. More answers here. Karen says diversified. Awesome. Um, John Steven. Ooh, everybody wants alpaca socks now. (laughs) Andrea's even wearing hers. That's great. Not having to count on MD referrals. Self-reliant. All these answers are right. Brian. What's up, Brian? Uh, Demonstrate that you can drive your own business without relying on others. Scalable and more predictable all very right, correct answers. Right. So we talked about that, um, talked about how we, you know, had this challenge and how we solved it. The other thing that it's showing is that we're as a practice in general, we're gritty, right? Like it's not any barrier that's just going to, you know, halt our business forever. Realize that when an acquirer is looking at your business and this is classic Warren Buffett, or if you want to, swim upstream even more, Benjamin Graham, intelligent investor language, but you're essentially buying discounted future business flows. If you invest in the stock market, and I'll use an example of a business that I watch, it's Google and Alphabet. There's a couple reasons that I watch it. The main one is they have seven different platforms that they own, including Waze, YouTube, uh, et cetera, uh, Google search, that they have seven different platforms Essentially companies, each with over a billion users, right? That's kind of crazy. I think the next closest is three um, th- right so th- uh, so I watched their business, and their multiple right now is a- about an eighteen. So for every dollar um that Google produces, the, you basically are gonna pay eighteen dollars for that one dollar per year coming in, right so you're we're buying. With no growth at all, everything stays static with Google, which it will not. We're buying, um, we can buy the eternal Google earnings for $18, right? Maybe it goes up, maybe it goes down. You you get the idea there. That's how an acquirer is going to view you as well. So, right, they're not looking for a business that's very flimsy um, or fickle and, you know, you are seeing uh, 100 new patients in a month. Wow, Jeff really does want those. Great. Uh, they'll be in the mail, Jeff. Um, but yeah, so a practice, an acquirer is not going to want um, somebody that can't overcome an obstacle. And let's say, you know, 100% of your new patients coming through are physician referral, and that physician, that orthopedic practice or whatever it is goes away. Now, you know, w- what future earnings does that practice have? They look minimal, right? So if we're diversified, if we have multiple places that patients are coming from and we know how to market direct to consumer, our practice is more consistent, more valuable. Other ways in which we're different, obviously the direct to consumer marketing, which we just went through. The other thing um, that we you know, have done kind of crazy well with is de novos. And de novos are opening new practices and if i think about this so the first de novo um, that we opened since 2009 was actually in 2018 we went 9 years and it was because i was very uh, i was very shy hesitant to to open a practice again because opening the mechanicsburg office did not go well um it probably took us 3 years to get to break even on that uh the, opening that 4000 square foot clinic it is still there today. It's doing very well right now. but um, I, I was super hesitant about doing it again. Also, the original vision was have one or two locations and then be teaching other practice owners how we grow our practice. that that was I was talking about that way, way early um, in the game, and that that's what I wanted to do. That's you know where my passion is. But since then, so twenty eighteen was dolphin, um, that clinic is in a pop- in a very small rural town of about 3,000 people. Um, there was a practice in there for eight and a half years. I know the former director, all-time record high for visits in a week within that practice before we went in was 73 visits in a week, primarily physician referral. Uh, that physician converted over to concierge medicine and uh, is supportive, but I think We're getting two to three referrals from him per quarter so that pretty much has dropped off Uh, within seven weeks in that space dan was up over 100 visits a week within one calendar year from opening in september of uh 2019 he was up over 200 visits a week that's now four clinician clinic um they they're at 2600 square feet they're out of space and we're pretty much maxed out there with what we can do um, in that area. Next clinic was Chris Ceratowicz, um, who was in Camp Hill. We opened that in January, late Jan- January 27th, 2020. Uh, that clinic went zero to over hundred visits in seven weeks as well. Um, they got off to a really good start. And then we had obviously the pandemic right now. That's a five clinician clinic and they're seeing roughly 250 visits a week. Um, the, then after that we did Shrewsbury Shrewsbury was our COVID clinic. That was March of 2020. We opened March 9th on a Monday COVID hit Friday, the 13th, March, 13th of 2020. And, uh, that clinic was pretty roughed up in the, had a, had a rough go. They're out of space right now. We're literally on the eve of knocking down the wall and adding another 3000 square feet in that space. Matt has five. Uh, six full-time clinicians, and they are well uh, well over 300 visits a week. Um, that's been a, a, an amazing story about what we've done there. Again, primarily direct-to-consumer advertising with other competitors uh, within a mile and hasn't really affected us that much at all. So we've had that same thing with Hershey. We just knocked down the wall there, went from 2,000 to 4,000 square feet. Jan's doing an amazing job. And then we just opened Lancaster. So we have this rapid de novo success what is the key to that? It is the, the 12 months of clinical director training that we have. Right now, we're training five, uh, six that are going through our director training that you know will eventually potentially open up uh, other locations with them as well. So there are differentiators in the marketplace, things that a lot of other practices aren't doing. You want to start thinking through that. You don't have to have those specific things as your differentiator but you want to be organized and think about how you can stand out. We go through direct-to-consumer marketing here. Again, this was a 2019 study we did on attribution, where new patients came from. Um, yeah, pretty straightforward. This is, and this is showing uh, Dolphin and Harrisburg. So Harrisburg is our oldest clinic. Dolphin was our newest clinic, and basically how things change over time. Um, and we grow. This is our syllabus for the clinical director training. And then, uh, so this goes through quarterly visits per clinic, and you can see Q1, first full quarter for Shrewsbury was pretty rough, uh, with looking like twenty to thirty visits a week there. Um, yeah, I need to complete the rest of this for you for Hershey, but you get the idea that we were growing pretty quick. We learned our lesson in Mechanicsburg, and now every time that we've done it, we get a little bit better. Uh, this is was our annual growth um i can tell you last year we did uh 86,000 visits so in 2017 mike and i put um, a 10 year growth plan together it was actually through 2030 2018 through 2030 and every year we aim to grow 20% where do we get that from a jim collins concept called the 20 mile march you might want to write that down and you can just go back, um, Google it later. There's a story behind it, two teams racing to the South Pole. And that is one of the the business models that we brought in-house here. Jim Collins is of uh, good to great fame. You've likely heard of him. But um, yeah, at 20 Mile March, so since 2018, we've been aiming to grow. And you can see that even with the step back in 2020, we're almost spot on uh, within like a half a percentile of exactly where we want to be um, in terms of visits and growth, even with the pandemic. So the other thing that we use from Jim Collins is this concept is called uh, a flywheel. And uh, again, Jim Collins wrote, I believe it's called a monograph, "The Flywheel um, Revisited," and it's like a maybe a forty-page book, booklet, pamphlet, and um, he talks about the idea of this flywheel and that once you get it rolling, once you get it, it's you know there's some There's an idea of this that it it takes some effort to get the right systems in place, to get everything coordinated and working together. But once you do that, it takes very little effort and the flywheel continues to spin, right? And, you know, that's really, the flywheel is really an industrial age idea, agriculture agricultural error idea, but that's the concept. And then you fill this in uh, with your business. So we took that flywheel concept and applied it in this way. When we go into a new marketplace like Lancaster, like Shrewsbury, we begin by marketing direct to consumer um, in a new area before we even open. Um, What that does, so that generates new patients and new patients ultimately lead to more visits, right? We see an eval, we schedule a full plan of care. Now we have visits. What do visits become? Well, they, within 30 days time on average, we turn that into income or revenue. What do we do with the revenue? Well, um, we and the income, we have a cash reserve system that has been in place forever. 10% goes into weekly that we invest in future growth. And that's primarily buying more space to meet our 20% goal. And so that might be expanding an existing clinic or opening uh, an additional new clinic or buying equipment so that we can deliver more service. Um, could also be in, uh, in investing in people, right? Hiring more people, and then we also put ten percent of our gross revenue in buying uh, additional market share. So that goes that feeds our marketing. So as we go from you know ten thousand to thirty thousand to fifty thousand to eighty thousand that we're at now, and you know our our goal by the end of this year is to be over hundred thousand visit per year run rate, um, and we have adequate space to do that. Then what we can do is we can go. Uh, by gradually more market share and invest heavier in our marketing. So, you know, when we were seeing, um, when we were doing a million years or a million dollars a year in revenue, our marketing budget was about a hundred thousand dollars. When we're this year, we'll cross 10 million in revenue. We have a million dollar marketing budget, right? So it, it grows incrementally over time and proportionally over time. And then what happens is that cycle repeats with greater and greater momentum now i'm going to tell you a secret here um and just hang in there with me for a second but one of the i have a real estate mentor he actually built this building that i'm in uh he's long been retired now um but the first time that i ever met him nearly 20 years ago uh and this this guy's fascinating he has four ivy league degrees from three ivy league schools penn wharton harvard um he is off the hook in in intelligence. And uh, pretty much for a few years, every year on my birthday, I would get to have dinner with him. And it was usually a three-hour dinner. First dinner we ever had, he spent the entire evening talking about Y equals X to the nth, which is exponential growth curve. Again, you can look that up um, when we're done here with the training, but Y equals X to the nth, exponential growth curve. And he said, listen, here's the mistake that most people in business make." and he was talking specifically about investing in real estate but he said you see people out here that are far out on the x axis and you see that their y differential is steep you know so like you hear about elon musk or warren buffett or whoever it is you know that their their wealth fluctuates by billions of dollars within a you know a day or an hour or whatever a few weeks that they can go from you know being worth uh 120 billion to 150 billion dollars, literally like from one Monday to the next. And that just boggles our mind. And he said, it it makes for great press and great media. But he was like, if you're looking at what is going on now, you're missing it. And he said, what 99% of the population will do is they'll look at that and they'll say, I want that. And they try to act like that person is acting now. And he said, if you do that, you're going to fail like everybody else does. And he said, the right thing to do is to go back what was it like in the beginning of that of the journey, and what did they do back then? What were the sacrifices that they made then in order to get that growth that is way out here on the curve? And he said, focus on that. So go back, you know. And I've gone back and read the nineteen sixty-five uh, Berkshire Hathaway, you know, letters that of when Warren Buffett wasn't doing so well and like how how he thought through the process. It, you know, done that with him, same thing with, you can do it with any business leader, but study what they did early. And it, I remember when I had this conversation with Norm, he was talking about this over and over again. And it's like, it, it's the same thing here. If I'm sharing a part of the story where you're like, that's not real to me, don't pay attention to that. Pay attention to, you know, what I was doing 10 15 20 years ago right and it's it's part of this process and this is from the from day one we knew that marketing was really the lifeblood of the business and we've been doing you know that the 20% or the 10% cash reserve we've been doing that for 19 years the 10% of gross revenue to marketing we've been doing that for 19 years it's this like that is the stuff that really drove the success that you're seeing today Oh, I do have this. Uh, So this was from the the growth plan that Mike and I had laid out back in 2017. And uh, yeah, 2022, again, we hit that within like a a few hundred visits, Um, literally less than 1% of a, a deviation there. FTEs, we actually have more than that now. So you can see our FTE. If you take the 2311 um, and it comes out to roughly 43 visits per FTE per week, right? So a little more than one visit per hour is our estimate. And we hit 8.7 million in income, um, which was a little bit less than our goal of nine. But you know, we have the reimbursement cuts and all that other stuff in there. And we were almost right on here with the 2.1 million in EBITDA yep so then we go through our leadership team, our values and culture. this is important um, and this really helped us it, it, it's even really strengthened uh, since we've gone through this process. but insistence on outcomes we hire um, very much around that. So we want a clinician and we want uh, everybody from our marketing to billing, receptionists across the board to you know really be focused on the patient and helping them. Um, Helping them improve, and that if they that patient's not improving, that that bothers us, right? Like viscerally, emotionally, that we're gonna, we're, we expect people to heal, and we're just not handing out, you know, exercise cards or something like that. Um, beginner's mind, you know, we're looking for humble lear- learners that are always learning, that are resourceful, elevate others. We're looking for team players. All right. So if you have any questions on that, you can type that in the QA. Uh, we're going to be able to um, have some time for that here in a second. So building systems and processes, this is one of my favorite quotes of all time from Jay Abraham, who's who has been a business uh, really icon and uh, trainer, business leader, wrote a book called Getting Everything You Can Out of All You've Got. There are only three ways to grow your business. One, more new patients, right? Increase the number of clients. Number two is increase the average size of the sale per client. I know traditionally within the PT business, specifically within our industry, we think, well, there's no way that I can change that because I'm subject to the insurance companies. Well, I'm going to give you two off the top of my head. One is you can prevent dropout, right? So that's seeing an eval who doesn't complete a plan of care, which happens a lot in our industry. Um, And the other one is you can add a cash pay service, right? So there's just, Of the many ways, there's two ways that you can do that, that many other practices are doing right now. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. And then finally, number three is you can increase the number of time clients return, call that reactivation, right? That's past patients being reactivated, coming in for additional care, and buying again. And you know, when we're applying that, there are really three pillars, uh, three systems to focus on in building. Number one is marketing, right? We that. We built our whole flywheel around that, and I'm sure to some degree you have built your practice around that as well. Um, Personnel, right? having the right people in the right seats um, to help us grow, and I shared our core values with us there that drive a lot of those decisions, and then also finance, that we're sound financially, making good uh, decisions. In terms of marketing, this is how we think about marketing our practice, um, and especially to direct to the consumer, whether it's cold traffic or, and we do a lot of that, or to our past patient list, which if you look at our numbers, when I was sharing those, you know, in our established clinics, our past patient list being reactivated or referring words of mouth, friends and family is essentially two thirds of our practice, right? Once you go into an area and you capture that area and you have their attention and you start building a patient list, uh, what should happen is your marketing can get even more efficient over time. So we have, this is our patient demand system and our flywheel about how we think about it. Number one is we need to attract, right? So we need people from our patient list, raising their hand for reactivations. We need people from the, the cold traffic community, raising their hand and saying, yes, I want to learn more about, uh, you know, shoulder problems or my back or whatever right? So we have attraction and we have specific processes and uh, automation that can help with that. The next thing that has to happen is once they raise their hand, our fairy tale is we just walk into the exam rooms and people are ready to go. That is not real. That is not how it works, right? How it does work is we have to have conversion. We talk about conversion and using tools on three different levels. Number one is that first response, right? So I clicked on, uh, the latest was a you know, we've been running TikTok ads, that's working well. So uh, I clicked on a TikTok ad and I want to talk with your practice and learn more. Um, and Excel is who handles the phone calls here for us. She's going to have a conversation with you. It might be on the phone, might be via email, might be via text, but we're going to have human to human conversation. That's one conversion point. The next one would be at the event if we're having a workshop or something like that. So second conversion point, and then finally, we have what happens in the exam room, uh, another conversion point. And all of the system uh, that you know we're using here with Breakthrough helps support that, makes the communication as easy and as trackable as possible. And then underneath it all, we want to measure. Um, we're in an age where you can do a lot with data, right? So we want to, uh, number one, have that data that we can go back and make better decisions with. Um, but then also, you know, we know where to be resourceful. We know where to where we need to improve. You know, if we have uh, we have a workshop uh, tomorrow night coming up, I know there's going to be uh, just from past historical data. We know there's going to be about 16 people in the room, and you know we can react and respond differently if two of those 16 schedule versus 14 of those 16 schedule, right? Um, but we want to have that historical data and be able to look at that. So we know how to do more of what works and less of what doesn't work. This is one of my favorite stories ever. I know Joe and Kathy are slated. I just got a a text or a a direct message from her that they're coming. Uh, Now they're bringing their daughter and their son-in-law who just opened their practice. But Joe and Kathy, we started working with them. They had a practice valuation. Uh, We worked with them for 12 months. They got another valuation and they uh, doubled the value of their practice. They ended up exiting. Uh, Having a successful exit, and then they retired and bought a, a dream beach house. Pretty, pretty cool stuff. What's your strategy for boosting your profit margins? In the current industry landscape, margins are slim due to declining reimbursements and the rising cost of doing business. Breakthrough has just released a new course, Profitability Under Pressure. This 13 week masterclass focuses on five key areas in your practice that can help you increase your profits we will guide you through creating a financial plan, which is a step overlooked by many other practices. You'll also learn how to renegotiate insurance contracts, evaluate whether cutting ties with lower payers is beneficial, and how to add cash pay services to improve your lifetime patient value. By the end of this course, you'll have improved control over your profit margins and a clear roadmap for future growth. This program is exclusively for private practice owners you must apply to be accepted. No HOPs or POPs practices. Click the link below to get started. So questions you have, looks like we have quite a few here.
1: Yeah, um, I'll help moderate here, Chad. Great. So um, the first question we had was actually submitted prior to the webinar um, from John, he asked, He said he would be interested in learning the pros and cons of selling within the practice versus outside the practice.
0: Can you give it to me one more time? I lost it there.
1: All good. I would be interested in the pros and cons of selling within the practice versus outside the practice.
0: Okay. So internal sale. um, First of all, John, whatever you're thinking, I, I always wanted to make sure we're in alignment. So. And it, you want to make sure your incentives aligned. So for me, um, in 2012, when I started um, initially and brought on Mike as the first partner, I had a satellite office is what I called it, which was is a horrible name. Um, but it was our Mechanicsburg office. That was the 4,000 square foot clinic that we opened in 2009. What Mike approached me about was buying half of that office. And I, I did it. We worked with Paul Welk, and what happened is now, rather than me trying to split time between two different offices, which is exactly what I was doing, I would be in Harrisburg in the morning, and then I would run over to Mechanicsburg in the afternoon. Disaster. We aligned um, our incentives and what we wanted to do, and that allowed Mike, who was the clinical director here in Harrisburg, to go to Mechanicsburg and solely focus on that, and he did an amazing job at getting that up and running right so 3 years of me really doing nothing just breaking even all of a sudden now i had somebody aligned and you know d- did i give up some dollars short term you know could i have gone externally and gotten more money absolutely but 12 years later I-, I i know i made the right decision i mean it's worth significantly more now that office than what it was back then and i never would have turned it around myself so there's this other concept of internal versus external, which is like, whatever you're going to do, you can grow the pie, right? It, a lot of practice owners are like, "Why well, own 100 percent? I don't want to bring on a partner, even if they're like one or two percent, whatever the percentage is, because um, then I'm giving something up. So why would I you know why would we grow from worth a million to three million? Um, but I'm giving up you know 10 percent of that? Well, let's do the math. You can own 100% of a million dollars, or you can have 90% of 3 million, right? In our quick example, 2.7 is higher than one, right? So think about that. And we had people that were stepping forward, asking for more responsibility. I had a a fair market value process that I went through in 2012 that is significantly less sophisticated than what we have today. Um, But I went through that and, you know, very happy with the decision. In 2017, May of 2017, I brought on four more partners. And then since then, uh, two more um before we go ended up going external. So in general, internal sale, you're probably leaving some immediate short-term money on the table, but you're gonna have somebody who's really motivated at understanding. Um when somebody has skin and equity in the game. That's a, they're going to behave differently and realize that that is likely to everyone's advantage. Good question,
1: John. Uh, um, Karen, I think has a follow-on question to that. She said, when selling within the practice, do you advocate bringing on a partner right off the bat or bringing on an associate or employee with incentives to purchase in two to three years?
0: Uh, We do neither. So here's how we think about it. We will take somebody who's an, and we've done this twice, an aide, a tech. They're with us. They have a four year degree. We support them going into physical therapy school. And support, I mean by experience, not paying for them to go to PT school. They get their DPT. They come back. They now are a staff entry level DPT, right? They go through that for a year or so. We then build them a team. So now it's, it's DPT overseeing not only their own schedule. I just lost electric in my building. Internet's still on. Oh, that was weird. So
2: far, you're <laughs> still on.
0: Never had that happen before. That was super weird. Yep. Uh, wow. So just let me, it messed my screen up. Hold on.
2: Yeah, we lost your screen, but we can still see your video
0: fair so um, dpt team leader right so it's dpt plus pta plus tech and then what we do is our most competent team leaders will promote and offer the opportunity for clinical director and then for somebody who's a competent clinical director then we'll offer them partnership right um that they that they can purchase in and own equity whether that takes them two years to complete or twenty years, I, I I don't really have a timeline. But at every level, we're checking for competency and that they want that next level, that they've expressed interest in that next level, right? So I would think about it more like that than like bringing somebody on in the beginning and talking about equity. We show them the career path, but they also understand like, hey, I have to be competent as an entry level DPT before I'm going to. Um, take on the responsibility of not only managing myself, but also a PTA and a tech managing a team. Then the director, then the partner. So that that has worked out well for us.
2: Thanks,
1: Chad. Um, Jeff is interested in learning more about your uh, director training program. What more can you tell us about that?
0: Um, we, I'm, I'm currently going through one right now, I think we even broadcast that it's open to um at least the seems like we have a lot of people on that call. So
2: what else can we tell? Um,
0: I don't know. <laughs> what else do you want to know? Um, it it's not a program that we're I'm really selling. what the way that we have it structured is that I'm taking my five or six through and doing the monthly training. And then there's always, we teach them a concept and then they have to implement. So like, first thing I teach is the pro form and that's how to do a five-year financial projection. They own that and then they submit it. And then Mike and I go through it and give them, uh, you know, correction or uh, support, whatever they need to do there. And then we go into the next thing, which is how to select a location and it's the same idea there they have you know we show them how to do the study then they have to do the study on the area that they want to be in um and then we go on to the next so that i know is we open that up to the public um other practice owners can watch it um but i don't, i don't know how to include other gabby handles that <laughs> all for us i just show up on the call and do the training yeah
2: well um Jeff, feel free to reach out to us if you want to learn more about that. Um, Stephen asks, can you explain EBITDA?
0: Yeah, it's uh, earnings before interest, taxes. There's a D in there, Stephen. Uh, depreciation and amortization. So your uh, accountant should be able to walk you through this. Um, we work with Paul Welk who's an attorney and a physical therapist. Um, yeah. it it That's what it, it's, it's ultimately your, your profitability is the easiest way to think about it. Now there are some factors in there. Like, let's say your, your profitability is 300,000 a year and you're paying yourself 300,000 a year. Or you're running like your Tesla through your business or something like that. There are, there are, some complex things there that you might have to back out um, if you're looking at calculating fair market value EBITDA. But yeah, any expert, Paul Welk, would be my first go-to. If you're thinking about selling your practice and you're in the US, he's my my go-to contact there. He's helped us sell both internally and externally and kept us legal and compliant the whole way, all way through.
1: Great. Um, Aaron asks, where do you find out how to value a fair market practice?
0: So we, we've put out a lot on this over the years. Um, you know, we had on uh, Chris Redding, CEO of USPH, who I'm, I'm now a USPH partner. We, we've had him on. Um, we've had Ryan Kristoff on, who's in the uh, private equity PT market. Um, We've had 8125 advisors on who brokerage deals or Steve Mountain who brokers deals as well. We've had Paul on. In general, there's usually a a multiple, which is the main thing you're looking for, that is um, in alignment with market conditions. So for example, I mean, and this is public knowledge, so I'm not sharing anything. Our EBITDA, our earnings before that, uh, interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. At the time of sale was, uh, oh, I'm blanking on it, 1.8, I think it was, yeah, it was 1.8 million roughly, and our multiple was nine. Um, So if you carry that out, that's how we got to the 16.5 million in the practice valuation at the time. Um, So that was the market when we did the deal, April of 2022. Right now, um, I think you know it might be a turn or two less on the multiple. Right now, a practice you know with a three hundred thousand in earnings might be a a three or a four at this point. You know, it, it, there's a range of the size of your practice and the size of your earnings. Um, the higher the earnings, the larger the size of the practice. In general, the larger that multiple is going to go.
2: Cool.
1: Um Anna is wondering if um I think she has concerns about sharing with her team that she's selling. Do you ever lose uh PTs if you share that information? Um lose PTs think that they need to find employment elsewhere?
0: Well, um, I so this I've never shared before, but I I I asked for coaching on this. Um it would and it, it that, that's I mean my business is my name right? It's it's our baby. Um, so I I did an, an announcement. Um, in general, that announcement goes by this guideline. Here's what we're doing. Like this is the change that's happening, and it's this is classic who moved my cheese stuff. This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it, and here's what to expect as we move forward. This is what it means for you. Um, so you know, in our case, everybody was safe. Um, and honestly, they the employment situation is better for those that are employees now. it's safer, it's more stable. They're one of five thousand employees versus one of I think we had roughly a hundred at the maybe ninety ninety to a hundred employees at the time of close. So yeah, it just that barrier is probably a bigger barrier to you than it is um to your employees. We're able to offer better benefits and packages all that other stuff see you soon brian thanks
1: chad um all right we are at the top of the hour uh richard i saw your question um just go ahead and click yes on the poll and we'll reach out to you to give you more information um i'm also dropping this link in the chat one more time if you go to that link, um, you can schedule a free demo there as well. And we will contact you um, if you're interested in learning more about the patient demand system that Chad uh, that Chad used in his practice. Any awesome. final words, Chad?
0: No, I, I have to hop on another training. So Great. thank you, everybody. So
1: Join us. Thank you, everyone, for your participation. Have a good
0: one. See you. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.